Hello and welcome to the Six Pointer Podcast, um, Dunblane Special, and I'm very pleased to have two friends on the pod with me here, um, someone who is no stranger to the pod, Mr. David Hilverty, how are you? Very well, good to be back. Excellent. And uh, first time on the pod, but long time listener I understand, is uh, Mr. Lee Usher, how are you? Avid listener, yeah. Avid listener, good. You're, you're, you're our other, other listener that we've got um, outside of <laughs> London, so yeah. No, I thought you had thousands. Hmm? I thought you had thousands. Free. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, no. Um, yeah, so thanks guys for, for taking the time um, to, to speak to us here today. Um, as we're in Scotland, we might as well start north of the border uh, and talk about uh, Celtic, uh, obviously a, a club which is close to your heart, David. Um, and I thought we might as well touch on, obviously, the, the treble treble or the or potential yeah. treble treble which is yeah. coming up at the weekend and, and, Scott, and the Celtic's um, cup final with Hearts. Obviously, the two clubs met um, last weekend with a 2-1 win for, for, for Celtic. Can you tell me, is there, do you think, um, any bearing on, on that result that we'll sort of see Celtic, or even a club, in fact, yeah. uh, in good stead for the final? I don't, I don't think you can read anything, to, to be honest. I think Celtic made something like seven changes and Hearts made nine changes. Uh, brought in a lot of young players, yeah. guys like Mikey Johnson, Ewan Henderson, uh, 16 year old Caramel played in Bailey, got 45 minutes. Uh, I don't know if you've you've uh, been following him or come across him as yet. I heard his name mentioned. He's a, he's, he's a great hope. Uh, there's been a bit of start, tug of war in terms of internationals. He's been sort of playing Scotland under 18s, 19s, even though he's only uh, 16. Uh, but he's chosen to play for England. He's oh, also right. eligible to play for England. So, so has he made himself a bit unpopular then? Not at all. Celtic fans traditionally are not really concerned about international football, but he got 45 minutes, uh, looked apart, very small. Uh, There's a a terrific movement play where he gets completely wiped out. Uh, And I mean, the the guy checks him, it's at a die level. He goes down, the ball's still running, he gets back up, finishes his run, has a strike at goal, and you're like, even a 21-year-old, 22-year-old doesn't do that. That's yeah. a guy who's just got that uh, enthusiasm and love for football. Determined, determination. Sort of, yeah. I make my debut safety park from the 60,000. I want to get to that ball. Mm. And I know somebody else in the pod this week that's made their, their debut uh, <laughs> at the home stadium. We'll, we're, we're, coming that, to that, we're coming to that later. We'll yeah, we'll we'll later. Uh, but yeah, no, you, you can't read anything into that, I think. And the fact there's a cup final as well. And the fact that Celtic have won the last eight domestic trophies in Scotland, uh, as you say, this would be an unprecedented treble treble. Celtic have only won five trebles in their history, and two of them have been the last two seasons. So we're in really uncharted territory here. Uh, part, of me, part of me is a bit concerned, to be honest, just the very low average says that sooner or later, you're going to lose a cup game, aren't you? And you don't know what's going. To, you don't know what can happen. Yeah. Could get a player sent off after five minutes. Uh, Hearts could play a game of their lives. So by no means is it guaranteed. But uh, and I don't want to jinx it for you, but this last few weeks you've seen some big upsets in, in football, and it's Good almost point. like the momentum's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Massive game. Yeah. I imagine. Game for the neutral as well. Definitely, yeah, no, def- yeah. definitely one I'll be, I'll be watching with interest. And you mentioned obviously the treble treble, and, and things look to be a little bit derailed early in the season. Obviously, yeah. when we had you on the pod, when Brendan Rodgers left um, kind of abruptly to go yeah. to, to, to Leicester, and obviously Neil Lennon stepped in and, and, done, a, and done a good job. And something I wanted to ask you was that do you think he's done enough to? To secure, secure the job on almost like a permanent basis after the end of the season, or is there anyone else in the run? Good question. If, you, if you'd ask me, as you know, Neil Lennon, this is the second time uh, back at Celtic, mm. and uh, he, stepped, he stepped in in a, a period of real trouble and adversity. And great comment from at the weekend when he was on the pitch, been interviewed by last home game of the season, so getting interviewed by the match announcer. And uh, they asked Lennon, did you have to think twice about coming back at that point? And he said, no, this is my club. Mm. This is my duty. And it really sort of struck home. Well, fat fans love to hear that sort of thing. They love yeah. to hear that, but Celtic, Celtic fans don't want Lennon to take the job permanent. Really? 
and he, he sounded like a manager who that was his that was his last sort of home game. I feel like that was his last that send off. So signing his goodbyes. Yeah. So I don't know if perhaps he's already uh, been told that the job isn't his. So, so why is it then? So why why do you think the Celtic fans don't want him to take the job? Is it is it experience? Is it is it the fact that they want a bigger name? Yeah. Or we spoke about the treble treble, didn't we? And we're in unprecedented territory for Celtic and I think people's expectations and standards have been been raised that exponentially with having Brendan Rodgers. Uh, it's Celtic don't get many managers and no team in Scotland get a manager typically who their last job was leaving a top six club in England, mm. you know? Who fair enough when, when he left Liverpool <coughs> he, things hadn't gone so well. But he'd guide them to the second place, you know. I, I slip away from, from the title. Uh, so I think I think people's expectations have been raised and perhaps unrealistically. Kinda kinda names that you hear Celtic fans talking about. Uh, and again it's a bit sort of pie in the sky of guys like Mourinho, guys like Benitez. Uh, my own gut is that it's going to be somebody like a Davy Moyes, uh, and it'd be interesting to hear Lee's uh, insight and in, in his experience at Sunderland yeah. later on the podcast. But as I think when you, when you have somebody like Rogers coming in and he raises standards so high mm. and he's so dominant, and Celtic are so dominant over that period, people view Len as a sort of backward step right. to a time sort of pre Rogers, if you like. <laughs> and I think that's why a lot of Celtic fans at the moment are keen uh, for something else, even if there may be a, a slight bit of uh, delusion, probably too strong about the kind of candidate that, that we can attract. So, so it's almost like the bar's been set quite high totally. now and, and, and it needs to be at that level or a little bit higher then. So can I ask you, who would be your realistic choice? Not, not, not ideal choice, choice because I do, you know, we, we can pick names out of the sky, but I mean, who, who yeah. do you think? Realistically, <laughs> coming from a voice of voice of experience here, obviously. That's a really good question and one that I should have anticipated, doesn't it? But, uh, we can come back to it if you want. Yeah. For, for me, see the choice for me is someday like David Moyes. I'd want to stick with Lennon. Lennon's a manager who's won titles before. Mm. He's got Celtic into the Champions League before. Would be probably the best Barcelona side ever. Uh, at Celtic Park when Lennon was manager. And that's that, that's one thing that's worth pointing out. Lennon's European record fares very well in comparison to Rogers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's Lennon would be pragmatic in Europe, you know, he'd realise that how you play against Barcelona will be different from how you play against the Miriam when they come to Celtic Park. Rogers is the sort of purist that says, I set my teams up to play this certain way with this certain philosophy and it doesn't matter who we're playing and that's why we get battered 7-0 with PSG, battered 6-0 with Barcelona so there's there's a certain pragmatism about Lennon that I find quite attractive and in terms of the other names apart from the blockbuster names Mm. uh, I'd rather have Lennon than a Moyes or even a Steve Clark who we might touch on later who's who's out of the frame now in any case Fair enough. Oh, that's, that's, that's interesting insight. So this this goes to the other end of the table then, and Mr. Mr. Lee Usher. So I wanted to obviously touch on Sunderland, and obviously congratulations on reaching the playoff final. Um, and everyone, everyone in South London, not South East London, will, will obviously be backing you to beat Charlton um, at, at Wembley. But can, can, can we can we potentially touch a little bit on? Um, your almost painful memories from reaching uh, Wembley was it a couple of months ago now in the Checkerberry Trophy? Um, yeah. can, you, can you talk us a bit about your, your experience from, from from that day and and, and the disappointment of, of losing at Wembley? Because it's, it's known for myself, I was at the Cup Final with Palace uh, um, at Wembley a couple of years ago. It's it's a horrible place to be when you lose, isn't it? Well, well I'll, I'll give you my honest opinion on this, uh, and you might think I'm just saying it's because we came in the trophy, but up until probably was the sort of halfway through the season I'd never heard of the Czech trade <laughs> and I, I wasn't really too bothered I mean our main goal as a Sunderland fan was to get out of that league mm-hmm. get out of league one and the, the Czech trade only became interesting for me when we actually reached the final and even then there was part of me which thought it's a bit of a distraction from yes. the main goal 
but then it seemed to take on a life of its own and the fans and the momentum around the trip to Wembley yeah, just built and built and built and you, and you might have seen some of the, the pictures around London and Trafalgar Square. Yeah, it took out Trafalgar Square, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. almost like it changed into this different beast and it became more than the actual game itself. It was, it was like an opportunity for the, the fans to make a statement. See, we're still here, yeah. we're still a big club type of thing. And I think that's where it was. So. I wasn't planning on going, but my son, who uh, we've got a season ticket with, he, he was desperate to go, and we ended up taking him for the day. And I'm glad I did. In the end, it was a great experience. Um, it was his first experience at Wembley and travelling to see uh, his team play in a final with all of the other fans, and he really enjoyed it. But it says a lot about the trophy that we came away defeated and it didn't really hurt that much. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it didn't really hurt that much because the whole weekend and everything that came with it was so much more than the game. Yeah. So I don't know if that uh, answers the Yeah, no, 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 of course. I mean, it's, it's been a hell of a, a season for Sunderland, obviously. I mean, uh, a lot of people would have seen the, the Netflix documentary, yeah, which, yeah. Is, which has been... Um, have you both seen that? I, 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 I've watched it, yeah, I don't know, Dave, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you've seen it, yeah. It, it, it shows you a hell of a roller coaster ride, isn't it, that's been going on at that club. I mean, sort of through the things that. Um, who, who was the player that got done for drink driving? Um, Darren Gibson. Darren Gibson, yeah. and his, his little journey. And then, I literally drove past the crash on the way to the ground. Was it was on a match day? Yeah, and I, and I drove past the, uh, the, the road where we'd actually crashed. He wasn't due to play that day, he was, uh, he was injured, but it was still a match day. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, for me, Darren Gibson, I don't want to spend too much time yeah. talking about Darren Gibson, but he should have been shifted from the club um, long before when he was videoed in the nightclub, slipping his other players. Yeah, uh, I saw that, yeah. Stupor, so, yeah, that's, that's probably just as much as I'd say on that. Like, fair, fair enough, but, but fair to say it has been obviously got quite yeah. a mutual rise for, for, for Sunderland after sort of some... some Quite painful lows uh, as 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 of late, and um, you know it's it's been in sort of credit to the job that, that, that Jack Ross has done. Uh, he's come in, and obviously things like losing Josh Major in in January. He went to Marseille or Bordeaux, did he? Um, yeah. And poor kid, I, mean, I feel for him because he was wasn't he sort of like half a game into his first game and he did his ligaments or something like that. I think it was. Um, I feel for him, but obviously he was scored 16, 12, 16 goals, didn't he? And yeah. to lose to, to lose your top striker. Um, and still reach the playoff semi-final, just on the playoff final, obviously, is, is, is a credit to the club, isn't it? And, and generally, yeah. the season. I honestly think if we if we'd been able to keep Major, we would have been promoted by now. Just massively. Yeah, our, our biggest our, our biggest issue this season has been not not killing games. We've we've drawn 19 games. Uh, I think that's the most any teams drawn in, in, the, in the league. And it's just too many. Um, the last seven, the last seven games. I think we've won one out of the last seven games, which it just illustrates we didn't have that uh, that, that threat in, in front of goal. Mm. Seeing that mind, we've got um, we've got Charlie White, who's really hit some form. I don't know, have you watched us play much this season? Well, I've watched a couple of games that were on Sky. Um, obviously, I've watched both legs of the, of the, of the playoffs as well. So, yeah. Charlie Wake, can you remember the, uh, the Brazilian forward, Romario? Mm. Yeah, of course. He's absolutely nothing like him. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a beast. He's a beast of a footballer. He's uh, six foot odd and he's a unit and he bullies defences. Up until sort of the last couple of months, he wasn't really doing it for the club. And the fans were starting to turn on him a little bit, but Jack Ross, to his credit, he stuck with them. And I started to question Jack Ross and said, "Why is he keep? Why is he keep playing Charlie White?" But he obviously saw something that we uh, that we didn't. And he had come back from an injury, so he probably took that into account. And, he, and he's really important. I mean, he starts on Sunday, uh, no doubt. And he's just a, he's become a really important player. But he doesn't score the goals that much. Because he's more of like a holds up the ball is an aerial threat and he plays uh, with the players in but yeah Maggi was a massive uh, a massive miss well, I think in midfield you, you certainly got one of the players with the best names in, in the league anyway, with Max Power obviously yeah. and he, he's, he came from Wigan didn't he and, yeah. and obviously he's, he's done, a, done a good job anyway but touching on the, on the playoffs and you mentioned how sort of how some of them haven't managed to almost see games out and haven't been able to 
draw a few games, but they did a very professional job in the second leg against Portsmouth, wasn't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, did what they needed to do, get, get, get the result they needed to do, and, and credit to your goalkeeper. Me and you were texting, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. And your goalkeeper, I think, made a couple of important saves in the kept, kept you in the kept you in the game. Um, and just, I guess, just a few words on him from from, from you and on how he's performed this season. He's been. I mean, we, we keep talking in the the lads. We, we see if. if Sort of fingers crossed, we, we do get the rules. Uh, which of that team, the current team, would be good enough for the championship? And, and he's one of them, mm. I would say. He's, uh, he, he, he's earned us a, a number of points, and, and that, that Portsmouth game, for me, it was great for a number of different reasons. I mentioned before, we've not been able to kill games off, but also we've took leads in, in a number of games, and then we've lost the leads. And we haven't been able to just close a game out mm. in a professional way. And it might be a crap match to watch, which it was that second leg against Portsmouth. Was a Sunderland fan? That's what you wanted. Yes. And, it, and it's given me a little bit more confidence. So you've got the back four. You have the confidence in the in the keeper. The back four playing well together. We've kept that same back four for a, a few games now. And you've got the likes of Catamore um, and Ledbetter, who I thought were immense. For a, for a League One performance, I thought they, they were immense in that, uh, that second leg. So that whole back four in the front two is just providing me with a bit of comfort that on Sunday, hopefully we can go with a bit more confidence than we had before. It almost feels like you, you've got a good mix of sort of youth and experience, doesn't it? Because you've yeah. got the Catamoles and the lead bitters in there yeah. that, that sort of bring that sort of um, steel in the midfield, but then you've got the young players who can sort of break forward yeah. and, and do the business as well. But interesting uh, moment, I don't know if you, you watched the, 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 the second leg either, David, but there was a bit where there, was it your right back went into the, the crowd, wasn't there? And there was that Portsmouth fan that was, was clearly seeing that and having a couple of digs at him and you just sort of think that with, with everything that's been going on in Scottish football me and you have sort of spoke about before around fans getting involved in, 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 in the uh, in the game and, 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 and sort of having digs at players and things like that so, I mean where does it end because that sort of thing it wasn't right. It was just absolutely ridiculous that the bloke was able to do that and then seemingly get away with it as well. And then he was even trying to get on the pitch, wasn't he? And things like that. It was, it was yeah. unbelievable. And, and, and things like that. I mean, that again is a testament to the, the sort of the, the mental strength of the team that they were able to come through that. And in fact, I think it had an adverse effect on Portsmouth because they, mm. they started to come in the ascendancy yeah. just, just sort of preceding that incident. And then that seemed to change the game again. Mm. And instead of which you could have easily done, um, threaten our position, it seemed to galvanise the players and all sort of, they were even more up for it. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the couple of thoughts on that, that incident. One, it, t- it seemed to take an age for the police to get there, and so you've got the threat of the players. I mean, he, he, was, in a, he, he was in a sort of a vulnerable position mm-hmm. there, he got a couple of kicks in, luckily he came out smiling and laughing yeah. for a couple of different great reaction from him to be fair yeah. that he was able to just walk away and just say not react to it I know Catamol I think it was that took exception yeah. to it didn't he yeah. and took a the few fans up I think he just wanted to make sure that the stewards knew who it was yeah and, and we, were, we were exchanging a few messages after I had mm. pop up Portsmouth fans and that was in the heat at the moment and yeah, when, when you reflect on it, I mean Portsmouth, I didn't want to play Portsmouth in the playoffs for the stop with our boogie team, I just uh, hate that chant as well, it's really annoying. But like this bell. I think, to be fair to them, at the checker trade, they demonstrated they've got a great support as well. I mean, they took half the stadium, we took half the stadium for a League One, two League One teams to play the Czech Trade final, get something like 85,000. It's a testament to that. It's impressive, well. isn't it? Yeah. So I wouldn't want to see sort of uh, really that fan at the whole club type of thing. Mm. He's just an idiot. Mm. He got ejected from the game and hopefully he gets a ban. Good. Well, well, I mean, David, there's a podcast which you sent me to listen to and it's been mentioned on there a couple of times, isn't it? About, about sort of fan incidents that's happened in, in in Scotland and there's been a couple of sort of ranges isn't there this season and, and a few things and I, I don't know I mean sort of your thoughts and it, it's, it's clearly not just a, a problem in Scottish football in football and riding why do you think potentially that these fans are thinking that they can almost cross the, cross the boundary is it, is it that it's this social media thing where people think that you know this platform gives them I know a heightened sense of, of, of profile to be able to say these things, and therefore then they act on it as a, as a result of that. Or, or you know, I guess a wider question is, what can be done to sort of stop it? It's an interesting issue, and 
I want, I'd be really interested in sort of stats on whether these types of incidents are on the increase or whether reporting of these types of mm. incidents is on the increase. And as you say, perhaps platforms like social media draw greater focus and greater attention and then a greater sort of cycle of coverage comes out of that from these incidents. In Scotland, uh, I, I remember mentioning when we started the podcast and mentioned Parks. When he was first uh, Celtic manager, playing away from home at Tynecastle against Hearts, and a fan ran down, uh, ran down right onto the touchline and started throwing punches at New I'm blown. And I'm kind, I'm kind of putting these recent incidents in, in perspective of that which happened probably six, seven, eight years ago. Mm. So I went up more mind is this. This is a problem that increase, is it reflective of some, some wider social unrest, if you like? Or is it, as you say, that we're noticing these issues far more because there's a greater spotlight on it through the increased levels of social media, these types of incidents? Yeah, well, there's this hope, obviously, that we don't see more of these sort of instances and, and we get back to talking about football, um, which is obviously what we're here for. And, and talking about that and moving on to a more positive note, a man who made his debut at the, at the Stadium of Lights this week um, is sitting right next to us, Mr Lee Usher. And Lee, talk to us a bit about how this came about and how you got to play in the game and also your experience of the game as well. Yeah, I just first I'd like to say I'm a bit disappointed how long it's taken us to get to this conversation. <laughs> I thought what a headline. In my defence, I mentioned the right notes there. I blame the host. <laughs> so yeah, we, uh, we, we played uh, a friendly match, 11 size, at the Stadium of Life on, on Sunday. A dream come true for me, obviously. I, uh, I followed the club for a number of years. I walked out on the Hallett Turf with my son by my side. It was absolutely fantastic. I think we'll post up that video on, 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 on Twitter as well, on, yeah, on, of you making your, your, your run into the pitch as well, because it's, it's, it's that, a great sign. good, yeah, that would be good. Um, but yeah, it was great. I mean, we were talking about this earlier on. Just a 45-year-old bloke who's just been playing five-a-side, sort of intermittently over the last few years, to then walk out and play the 11-a-side, I probably... Um, I didn't realise just how difficult it was going to be in <laughs> the adrenaline and the excitement of walking out and a few fans sort of cheering you on. And it was great. I mean, I started off on the right wing. Couldn't really do the job on the right wing, so I got moved to left back, and I felt a bit more comfortable. <laughs> and uh, even even on at left back, I managed to go in the box, and people were thinking, "What's that? What's this left back doing?" <laughs> I was just so determined to get a goal, you know. And it, the real Patrick Van Allen hot about it. Yeah, yeah, it, it didn't happen, but really good. Uh, enjoyed it. A few bees after. Uh, I would recommend it anyone. So I mean, you, me and you were talking before about it, and, and you were sort of told that you were given a bit of a pep talk to sort of to, to sort of keep calm and, and not let the adrenaline get, get get ahead of you. But you were absolutely knackered after about ten minutes because you were you were sprinting after the ball, and then you turned around and tried to do your backtracking, and thought there's about seventy yards there. <laughs> the, the thing is, when you when you play by the side, and you, 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 that, that in my I was naive thinking I'm running for sixty minutes non-stop by the side, so. You're left side, you think you get a bit of a break because the ball moves around the pitch. But I didn't anticipate the, uh, the, the teammates shouting and screaming for us to get back in certain positions and defend. I thought I would just sort of stay on the halfway line and make a few runs forward. <laughs> and yes, the, uh, a couple of lads who played the season before, they warned me, hey, you get a warm-up off in a, a Sunderland coach and don't really give 100% in the warm-up because that, that's like part of the match itself yeah. <laughs> and I did take notes of that so I walked off uh, the warm-up after about halfway through but the, the first 10-15 minutes I'm listening, I'm listening to the lads saying yeah yeah I'm, I'm going to take it easy and uh, I'll just sort of ease into the game but what I was saying to you exactly that, that exactly happened the ball came over the right and I just chased it I felt like a greyhound <laughs> I was probably more like a St Bernard but it, it took it was a good busting run to the, uh, the corner flag and I thought I would knock it in lovely lovely cross into the box and I scuffed it so I'm having a stroll back for a couple of seconds and everyone's screaming get back Lee get back off the defence and you know, speak this which you podcast so you kind of knock it and that first five sort of ten minutes I was just absolutely knackered it was a brutal introduction to the game 
but then you set them to this and you, you become a sort of you normalise your environment. Yeah. And you get a second wind. I start to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was good. It was really good. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I said to you before, I've done something similar with Football Aid, which is a charity which raised money for men's prostate cancer uh, back in uh, 2012. Oh, no, 2010 that was, uh, and that was a great experience. You could buy a 45 minute or a 90 minute slot yeah. to play instead of to. Um, and I want it to be on the record that I did score I've got it on tape <laughs> and it wasn't offside um, so I've scored at Sales Park but um, exactly yeah I've, I've, I've got it now man. I've got, I've got the video at home so I, I, I'm happy to take it to uh, St George's Park and, and let them have a look at it but, uh, do, do you know what though? I don't know if it's a, if it's a common thing in the who play football and women who play football um, I don't know I'm a chill I'm, I'm just a friendly do you always think you're better than you are and you build yourself up to be one of the best players and then actually when, when you, you get on the pitch it never turns out that way you realise everyone else is better than you yeah. so, so I, was, I, was, I, was on the, yeah, I was on the losing team uh, we got beat 4 to first 20 25 minutes really I was probably a bit knackered. and then I'm seeing me, me second on half an hour and I sort of eased into the game I was probably still out of 22 players on the pitch I was probably in the bottom 3 or 4 but still at the end when they bring the coaches out and they, they have to pick them out of the match there's a little part of us thinking they're going to pick me <laughs> I've done something I've done something and they've seen something and, and, and I'm going to get them out of the match I didn't but there's always the hope isn't there to hope that kills you <laughs> keep the dream alive that's what I say um, but whilst I've, whilst I've got you guys here I just sort of um, always touch on a few sort of general um, football points anyway um, Please, mate. Thank you very much. Yeah. Same again. Best is in there. Thank you very much. Um, sorry, just just getting a beer in there. Um, it's been a, obviously it's been a busy week in football, being the end of the season and, and the FA Cup final and things like that. But there's been a few sort of managerial changes, and I just I guess I'll offer it out to the panel if anyone's got any any thoughts of of, of the high profile ones. So obviously with Chris Hewton losing his job at, at Brighton, and personally I think he's done a really good job at uh, sort of building them up, taking them into the Premier League. Um, you kind of potentially need to question uh, Brighton's expectations of what they expected. I know they spent a lot of money, um, but for me it feels a bit like a, a bit of a knee-jerk reaction after a few bad results. Um, personally, I think um, it was the wrong decision to get rid of him, but they brought in Graham Potter from, from Swansea, and he's done brilliantly um, there, and, and previously he was at Ofterson's for, I think, six seasons or so, and he took them from the fourth tier of the Swedish um, league to the... Um, Alsbergs in, uh, in sort of I think about six seasons and he's done really well on a limited budget there and you wonder sort of how much money he's going to be given but I guess thoughts from you guys if anyone wants to go first in terms of were they right to get rid of Houston and, and do you think this is the right appointment? I'm, I'm with you in, in that look I, I think it's uh, extremely harsh to say and I, I think the timing of it's pretty pretty rough as well you know because uh, back to the point I was talking about uh, Celtic fans' expectations. What, what are Brighton's expectations? What, what, where, where do they think they should be? Because to my mind, from the outside looking in, Brighton are about where they should be. Yeah. You know, probably overachieving. Oh yeah, easily. Punch above the weight. Yeah. Whereas I look at a club like Sunderland, huge club, steeped in history, yeah. Premier League team. Brighton, I think. What, what, what do you expect? What, what do you really expect? Might sit here 12 months later or sit somewhere else 12 months later and, and Graham Potter's turned him into, what would you say, maybe a, a will somebody who's sort of yeah. gone that extra step, but I, I just can't see it personally. No. Uh, rough decision for me. No. No? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it was a real surprise, considering he'd kept him in the Premier League, which... No disrespect to Brighton, but you think that would be a, a decent season for them. I know they probably want to push on. That's the objective, isn't it? For yeah. performance, isn't it? So, yeah. Did he make an FA Cup semi-final? Is that FA Cup semi-final? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know, you know, sometimes whether it's it's not so much the, the performance of the team, it, it's maybe it's the manager and maybe it's the manager and the owners didn't quite have that Yeah, we don't know what's happened behind the scenes, do we? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I've never heard much about the, the new guy they've brought in. And, um, you get the Swans at the 10th spot in the Championship, but I think getting the team at the 10th spot in the Championship is easier than keeping the Premier League team. Oh, no, so, yeah. so, yeah, strange one for me. Yeah, by far. I, I think, I mean, he, he's, he's, his resume is obviously what he's done in Sweden on, on, on a 
on a, a really tight budget and, and taking them uh, Ostersunds to say to the Europa League and their highlight being two seasons ago beating Arsenal um, in the second leg I mean they lost overall but um, that's probably where he got his highlight but yeah no, I, I think yeah very harsh um, another, another manager which has lost his job is Tony Pulis at, at Middlesbrough um, being a Palace fan I'm, I'm, I'm you know I've got mixed feelings about this because obviously he was uh, he, he did the job at Palace but then left under sort of quite um, quite a cloud I guess yeah. but I've never really been much of a fan of, of Pulis anyway but it seems that his remit was obviously to get him to the playoffs didn't do that and therefore yeah. they've, they've got rid of him and there's even been talk of Karanka going back there maybe potentially so um, that would be an interesting one I guess Sinus is that management style has that had its day do you think is that pure style of moving into this I'm not saying everybody's going to be a Pep Guardiola but is that, I know we spoke about this the, the last time I was in the pod, about the, the sort of old school types of managers, you're thinking your Clough's, you're thinking your Martin Houston, Leicester, Neil Lennon is one of the old school, which is why a lot of Celtic fans aren't so keen on him. Is somebody like Pulis, is, is he of that older generation now that had his time in place? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think so. I mean, pretty much throughout his career, He's been associated with crap football. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, the in quotes, long ball football. Long ball yeah. football, yeah. yeah. And, and I think there's only so much of that you can put up with. And especially now, you're seeing some great football in the, in the Premier League and the Championship. I mean, look at that. We haven't talked about the Leeds Derby game. I don't know if you watched that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. That was Unbelievable. one of the best games of football for excitement yeah. that I've seen for a long time. So you can understand from the fans' point of view. But it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think it's something to also do with the expectations of fans, isn't it? Because for me personally, I think anyone outside of the top six of the Premier League, for example, we're taking the Brighton example, is is in is in like a, a relegation battle every season. So, in a sense that. Everyone from six downwards, unless you have a really good season like a Wolves or like uh, Watford have really pushed on, um, then you, you've got this situation that that people are sort of overachieving and, and, and your sort of remit is to stay in the Premier League, isn't it? So is it a, a fact that you need to sort of calibrate expectations, do you think, a little bit? I think so, yeah. I mean, um, I only called half of that because we got disrupted by uh, an unruly fan. <laughs> But yeah, in terms of expectations, this is, this is a big debate with, with some fans out there. Will, will, will your season be a failure if you don't get promoted? Um, personally, I think it will be, but then you've got to reflect back on where the club was when Jack Ross first came in. He didn't have a full set of players, so he didn't have enough players to trade. <coughs> he had half the first team who didn't want to be there, and he had one transfer where he was sort of out. So you, you can look at it in sort of a number of different ways. For me, yeah, I'd be absolutely good if we can get more out of this division. It's been one of the best seasons in terms of uh, enjoyment, um, getting that sort of that spirit back amongst the fans. The relationship between the owners and the fans is brilliant. Uh, and overall, I think Jack Rush has done a fantastic job. Ultimately, it's based on results and success. Yeah, of course. If, we, if we don't get promoted, that would be deemed as a failure. And we've got this game against Charlton on Sunday, which is the, uh, for me, the biggest game, the biggest game for a, a long time. Yeah. But it's to go to Wembley. I didn't really want to go. It was the last three times I've been to Wembley. I'm going to go off on a tangent now. <laughs> this, this, is, uh, this is how important it is. So, um, for me, this game is something It's a bit of a. It's a it could be a turning We're in the ascendancy. If we keep that momentum going, who knows what will happen. But we're playing My last experience of playing Charlton was a good one. I played the playoff final. Course, yeah, yeah, the penalties, yeah, yeah. So I went down, and anyone, you probably just can't remember that that, that match how it played out, but as a Sunderland fan, I was there watching it, and it's still, it's still ingrained in the brain. It was a 4 4 uh, draw yeah. by the end, 
and a guy called Clive Mendonca yep. scored a hat-trick against us. Now Clive Mendonca, then for John, was a swimming fan, scored a hat-trick against us and it took it into extra time and then penalties. We were fourth three up. Had two goals from Niall Quinn goal from Kevin Phillips. Nicky Sunday, so that's that's who's got out. We were full three up, like it's a decent team. Yeah, oh, it was a cracking team. Absolutely what was this, 99? 98. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Clive Mandanta steps up, gets his hat fourth, third goal for him, fourth goal for Charlie, took an extra time in penalties. And even the penalty shooting was so exciting for the Newton, but absolutely never happened. And it went, I think it went 6 5 to Charlie. Then up steps Mickey Gray, Sunderland lad, with Ben White from through, and he just, he just knew he was going this, and he scuffed it, and that's this history chart, and it really did So this game against Charlton and Sunday, it's, uh, that, that's part of the reason I didn't want to go down. I just want to watch it at home, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I've done the last two Portsmouth games at home, I've been passing away, and we've come out on top, and that's, I was trying to keep that sort of good luck uh, trying to it was a funny story actually if I've got time about the, uh, the, the 1998 game, Mitty Gray. I was listening to him on the uh, radio, he was talking about this a few weeks back. And obviously, he's been up now with He was saying he was absolutely devastated in that penalty. His friends, his family, grew up in Sunday. And for him to miss the penalty, that means we're staying up, we don't get promoted. He just wanted to get away from the walls. And he was sick of people asking about it. And he was sick of people getting on with him and then other people. And it really sympathised and he didn't like that. He just wanted to forget about the thing. And he, uh, he booked uh, a two week holiday in Ayala with his uh, girlfriend at the time. Uh, in this remote hotel, which he thought would just be out in the lower and he wouldn't he would be able to detach himself from everything. And about three days in, he's at the pool, having a drink, goes to the toilet, and coming out the toilet, who walks in? Clive Mendonca. Oh, Unbelievable. It's like this is the last <laughs> Two summer lads, anyway, said, let me go have a drink and so yeah, history there, and hopefully on Sunday we're right or wrong. Well, I say, say, most of South London will be backing you for that one, that's for sure. Um, but you mentioned earlier a little, you touched on there a little bit about bringing sort of uh, club uh, and, and, and players and fans and, and the whole sort of everyone back together. And yeah. potentially, I want to touch on. Thank you very much. The point around um, Steve Clark getting the, the job at Scotland and yeah. maybe that uniting a little bit. The sort of the Scottish fans, maybe, and, and, and sort of Scottish football again. Um, do you think that might have any sort of impact at all? Or, I know you're not a big, David, you're not a big fan of, of, of sort of the, the international football, but. Well, you're, you're right. I, I get enough disappointment from my club team. I don't need <laughs> any more disappointment from a perpetually disappointing national team. Uh, Steve Clark, though, uh, really impressive guy. The, the job he's done with. Kilmarnock's quite outstanding really. He took over them last year when they, I think they were brought up in the league mm. and they finished third this year. A club like Kilmarnock has, uh, has, has no business finishing third. In terms of head to head, they've got a better head to head uh, against Rangers this year. You know, and, and again, with the resources available to them, they uh, shouldn't be anywhere near that. So, the Cush is appointed Scotland manager uh, earlier on, I mean last year now. There was uh, a great degree of derision about that appointment. It was thought in the lines of oh, giving it to old mates. So I think against that appointment as well, there's, there's something fresh about the Steve Clark mm. appointment. Here's somebody who is coming off an old high at the moment. Uh, typically, I think you get national managers. When the stock's low, when they've left club football, when they're looking for a change, when, when, when they're sort of down the up type thing. So here's Steve Clark, he's probably at the peak of his managerial career so far, but he's, he's fairly overachieved at Kilmarnock. And so for once in actually team are getting somebody when uh, it's unshining, so to speak. Uh, and I, I think, as you say, that's why there's been pretty much universal positivity about that appointment. I think also, I mean, I read an article on the, I think it was earlier on the BBC Sport website around he saying that he wasn't going to chase players who, who yeah. wanted to play for Scotland. 
Um, and that's been a bone of contention, I mean, for me in terms of international football for a while around these sort of players that retire early. I mean, you had, with England, I'm thinking you had Ben Foster who retired at the age of 26 for international football. And, it's basically because he was never going to get kicked ahead of Joe Hart and yeah. the other players, but it seems to be a, a worrying trend that these players will sort of withdraw themselves from international football earlier. And it's quite refreshing to see a manager come out and saying, "Well, you know, if they don't want to play for their country, then, then fair enough." And almost bring this sort of almost to an extent patriotism back. Do you think yeah. a little bit? I think so. Although perhaps parallels here with what we're seeing anywhere near the same amount of talent and qualities available to Steve Clark to select from, but there are no parallels with some of what's worked recently with England national team where you're bringing in these young boys who want to play for the national team uh, and, and getting rid of some of that older guard they've had their day. So there's a lot of good young players in Scottish football at the moment. And Steve Clark seems to be the kind of manager who can make decent players into pretty good players. And I think that's what you need as a national team manager where you can't go out and buy, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. You need to be able to coach what you've got. Yeah. So, yeah, good appointment in my view. And, and who knows, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll even allow myself to be disappointed by Scotland <laughs> as much as I'm disappointed by Celtic on a regular basis. I mean, I always think that uh, sort of international manager is almost one of the hardest jobs because you get you get the players for you know a short period of time. You know, you're you're, you're asked to sort of create this this unit and this sort of togetherness when they're you know coming from different clubs. You only get them for a couple of training sessions before, before a game, so it's, it's almost the hardest job to try and create that that unit. I know. Wales had it with, with gigs for a while, didn't they? And I think that was yeah. potentially because they were sort of like going through a good period of bringing through a few players and obviously Bale leading the line, things like that. So, yeah, I don't envy any, any sort of international manager having that job, but it's um, yeah, it's, it's nice, refreshing to see him saying those things. And, and yeah, good luck to him, I guess, really. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, obviously, we can't finish the podcast without talking about the FA Cup final, which happened last weekend. Um, which is Man City 6, Watford 0, and it's the biggest um, margin of win since Bury in 1903, I believe. Really? Um, yeah, in, in the cup final. And something I want to ask you guys is that, either of you guys, if you watched the game, did you enjoy it? Um, I mean, I guess no one was really expecting Watford to win, and it kind of touches a little bit on that whole, has the magic of the cup gone? in the sense that you've got one of these cup finals where Man City was expected to win the game. Watford, to their credit, you know, went for it. That's why they conceded six. You know, they never sat back and put ten, ten men behind the ball and said, all right, fine, come at us. Um, they went, they gave it a go. But, I don't know, is it is it good or bad for football that that, that, that sort of thing happens in their FA Cup final? I'm a, I'm a big boxing fan. Boxing the, the six pointer podcast so much, but do you know what it reminded me of? I turned off at half time because it, it reminded me of watching a boxing match where there's a clear mismatch where one guy is just beating down yeah. another guy. And, and as much as I love the sport of boxing, you don't want to see a complete mismatch, you don't want to see somebody just getting beat up. For you want to see friends. a competition, you want, you want to see a game. Yeah. Competition. And to me that's what that game looked like. And to me that's what a lot of Man City games look like. And that's not to say that the what they're doing is not impressive. But you just get the sense that there's something not authentic about it. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think your brother Matthew's been really articulate on this new podcast before about a certain lack of authenticity in the Premier League at the moment and I've, I've spoken to you like, as well about how you prefer going away days when you're in the Championship and we've spoken today about how for me Sunderland are a new club, they're a club that should be in the Premier League and I know I'm going off on a tangent here but there's a, there's a bit of an authenticity question in Premier League football at the moment for me and Man City exemplify that. This is a team who they can, they can get whoever they want, they can spend whatever they want. And it's almost like, I don't know if you ever used to play champ manager when you were a kid. I love his love. CM3. Exactly. <laughs> but did you used to add managers and then just create as much budget as you like? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. you can buy anybody you want. That's what Man City's got the, the, 
the sense of for me. And it's, it's that, that lack of authenticity and that's sort of hitting the competitive nature of it that meant I couldn't enjoy what should be one of the such should be spectacles. I, I agree with you completely. And I think that's maybe potentially part of the reason that I've been drawn to the Danish Super League as well is that, yes, that yes. obviously, don't get me wrong, I'm a Palace fan through and through and I love seeing my, my hometown club. I live 20 minutes on the ground playing in the best league in the world and I have to pinch myself sometimes when I see you know, the fact we've got players like Wolfrid Zaha and you know, I turn to my brother sometimes in the games and when he does things I think you know we're watching this this is unbelievable you know I, mean? yeah. I always sort of think enjoy these these are the glory years because this isn't going to last for a long time and, and part of the reason I've watched the Danish Super League because I spoke on on, 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 on on sort of Danish pods as well as this one around sort of it feels a bit more tangible a bit more real football you know it's it's a lot of youngsters coming through and, and there's not the money floating around and people are just playing for the love of the game and it's, it's you haven't got that one team which is roaring ahead I mean fair enough I've got to sort of balance that by saying in, in, in Danish football in the, in the Super League this year you've got Copenhagen who have been absolutely ruthless and moved ahead but Lee I mean your, your thoughts on Man City and the whole sort of scenario of them them sort of not buying their way to success yeah. well you, I guess you could say that but, but to be honest I pretty much agree with David said um, you get the feeling that outside of the I mean without wanting to repeat what David said which I'm not the other, the other point I would make is it demonstrates how good a season they've always had to actually yeah. keep in touch and distance yeah. with Man City because they have been absolutely awesome and, and, and when, you, when you watch that game similar to you are turning it off after about the fourth game I think and it, it was just for me it's what I don't like about football now. You've got this massive gap. I mean, you've got a huge gap between the likes of League One and then yeah. even the Championship, but then the Premier League and then the top six in the Premier League is a different league. Yeah. And it's so far, I mean, But then you, you've, you've got to sort of balance out against how Man City do play. You know, Rose, they're doing for the team. They play fantastic football. They do dominate games. They must be horrible to play against. And anyone who comes away with any results has uh, done well. But ultimately, would Guardiola would be able to do that if he didn't have the money to spend and that's where it comes down to how it comes down to but um, in, in terms of the, this is the six pointer which is what we're on now that, that's what keeps me interested in listening because I would never have even thought about uh, the Danish league until yourself who uh, got me on it and is that, a, is that the way forward for, for leagues across Europe and uh, the world where, where money has really tainted what, uh, what, what could be a great experience for lots of fans instead of fans of just certain clubs yeah no I, I, I agree and, and that's something which I, I'd certainly welcome in the Premier League for example where you say you've got the top six which almost break away and become a mini league of their own I think what, what the Danish league provides is that you've got that top six or seven which, which then after playing each other twice do break away and you've got the bottom six which form two mini leagues essentially and they play each other twice again and those teams in the bottom half get a chance to play for a European qualifier and that's brilliant you know imagine I mean that in England so that means that you've got someone like Burnley or Crystal Palace or Brighton or you know West Ham or those sort of clubs are potentially playing for, for, for a place in Europe rather than sort of the season peacing off into mid-table democracy yeah, yeah. it's, 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 I think it's what's needed to, to, to really to sort of give some sort of injection of excitement into, into the league for those sort of clubs something needs to happen and, and at the minute it's, it's money the market and they're, and, and they're targeting a certain audience and it's the older kids I've got, uh, I've got two boys one's not interested in football one's fanatic in football we won't ask who your favourite is then. <laughs> well, I love music and football. So they're both uh, perfect. The youngest one who plays football, when he, he needs a, a new pair of football boots, it's not like when I was a kid and you'd go and just get whatever was off the shelf. You've got the, uh, all the, the, the different rules of football boots with a footballer promoting them. They've all got these socks attached as well now, haven't they? It's all about that. Everything is a marketing drive now from the clubs, and that's the main that's the main objective of the top six clubs. Now, I've said before, one of the best seasons I've had is a summer is this one. And it's totally different standard of football, and you've seen yourselves, it's probably pretty crap compared to what you used to see in the Premiership. But in terms of what 
what you think about what you want from going to the game is a, is a fan of raw passion and emotion of a game is just like all we're talking about is winning it's blood and guts type of thing that's what we've got and it's not about winning one of the worst things I've seen this latest on Man City, you know, um, the stadiums that you've got sort of couple of tiers and you hang flags over the, the sort of edge of the tier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see the screens that Man City had up at the Etihad? No. Uh, that were sort of screens of, of flags that had been designed. So the fans didn't even bring real flags to hang over. So the, 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 the screens? So the, the screens had sort of imagined flags like on TV screens to make it look like what the fans have put flags. That's unbelievable. And if you ever watch this city game, it sounds like a library, it sounds like a museum or something. I think the comparison with Liverpool is good because when one of the best games of football, not just I've watched this season but ever, was the game against Barcelona at Anfield. Mm. And there's, there's something about Anfield on a night like that. Yeah. Yeah. You almost feel it. I've got a magic happening. You don't get that there to have. It's plastic, it's synthetic, it's fake. And that's a real football club, you know. So, for all our promoters that are lack of any sort of credibility in the Premier League, you know, authenticity, and nights like that, and you know what I mean? You, you feel that passion, you feel that power. But I don't sense that from my side. And perhaps that's in my mind. I'm saying that I can enjoy watching them. Yeah. No, no, I think I, I agree with that. It's, it's certainly in the back of my mind as well. Um, I mean, from a, from a, a strictly neutral point of view, I mean, I wanted. Um, I mean, I would have liked Liverpool to win the league this year simply because you know it would have been someone who hadn't won it for you know X number of years. Um, but I mean, I, I saw Man City come to Sellers Park only sort of a couple of months ago. And they were, I mean, to be fair, to their credit, I mean, they were unbelievable. I mean, it, it was, I said, I said at the time to my brother, it was the, it was the English equivalent of having a Barcelona come to town. They were that good. They were, they were unbelievable. It, it was ridiculous. The way they played, it wasn't just on the ball, it was their off-the-ball work. It was just the, the, the effort they put in and the culture they put in. And you made the point earlier around sort of, um, you know, would Guardiola be able to do it without the money? I guess it's kind of irrelevant because he's got the money and, and, and he's almost taught the players who, who have been paid all this money to, to sort of to do the off ball work and the dirty work anyway so um, but yeah that's, that's an interesting point but uh, I, th- I think that's, that, that, that's, that's a good point and they're probably coming for a lot of stick because of the amount of money um, that's, that, that's been brought into the club and some people say all the time but it's, but there's no question in the work rate and the ethic yeah. Yeah. From, from each one of those players and they get slated if they're on a load of money and that makes them exactly. uh, look at the game as so they're not that bothered. But yeah. Guardiola's obviously done some yeah, where he's managing the big name players and he's in the right way. He's the best coach in the world. Yeah. But money can get you the best coach in the world. Exactly, of course. After that, yeah. <laughs> and on that note, boys, thank you very much for your time. I think we'll leave it there. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the pod. It's been a great discussion. We've gone 53 minutes. There we go. Gonna. Wow. That's been it's been a longer pod than I expected it to be. But no, I really appreciate your time. Thanks very much for being uh, fans of the Six Point Podcast. And please do spread the word. And I'll be uh, obviously putting this in social media and, and uh, obviously Lee as well, putting your your little video as well of you you living the dream and uh, running out of something to say. Well. Well, if, if you can, mate, I'll put it up there. But yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks for your time, guys. Nice one, thanks Cheers. So much. Take care, guys. Cheers.